Hello and welcome to another installment of Vantage Worldwide, brought to you by Abacus Worldwide. On each episode of Vantage, we tap into the expertise of our members and get the lowdown on just what it takes to do business in their respective jurisdictions. I'm Ravin Krishnan, the Asia-Pacific Regional Director at Abacus Worldwide, and I'll be your host for this very special episode. Now, recent episodes have seen us span the globe from our most recent revisit to the United States, Indonesia, Italy, and Panama, just to name a few. For this episode, we thought we would focus our attention on a region that is thanks to the World Cup very much in the public's eye. That's right. For this episode, we are focusing on the Middle East and specifically the United Arab Emirates. As always, we have gathered together a stellar panel of experts in their field based in the UAE, who have kindly agreed to share their knowledge and insights with all of us today. Firstly, we have Ratnaka Shetty, the managing partner of the eminent firm Mahindra Escher & Co. Ratnaka first came to Dubai in July 1983 as a chartered accountant and has been in practice in Dubai for over 39 years as an auditor and business advisor. Ratnaka's scope of work includes audits, company formation both offshore and onshore, corporate secretarial and support services, VAT and income tax advisory services, business valuation, due diligence and business advisory services. When he isn't at work, Ratnaka is a fan of films, music and just generally surfing the net. Um, now, Ratnaka, this seemed like quite, and, and forgive me for saying so, quite, quite millennial young interests as well. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. And, yes, and, and yes. I, I kind of consider myself a bit of a film buff, so I'm going to put you on the spot now before we get into the right. actual you know, professional advice. Do you have any film recommendations for our listeners? Okay, recently I saw Kantara because that is related to my native place, which is uh, covering the uh, traditional, uh, what you call, Daiwas. I don't know whether you understand what is meant by Daiwas and all. Basically, these are like demigods, basically, whom you do it. So okay. it's based upon that. And uh, because we have seen that, we could relate to it. But I think it has been a super success, basically. And uh, I see Hindi movies. I see English movies on Netflix. And uh, generally, yeah, that's right. Whatever in relation to suspense sometimes, yes. Uh, crime, thrillers, those type of things. Action movies, yes. I just saw recently Lost Bullet 2, version 2, recently released, I suppose. And uh, Just Mercy. And then uh, yesterday I saw a movie called uh, Oh My Darling Monica, which is a suspense thriller in the movie based on Rajkumar Rao. You can watch it. Maybe. And in terms of uh, internet surfing, generally, I, I mean, I just do internet surfing in terms of philosophy and then on investment themes. Like, for example, on Tesla, there are, there's always my interest is there in Tesla. I'm investing personally in there. So I watch a lot of YouTubes on uh, on investment, generally on Indian investment themes and uh, defense, geopolitical issues, India-China issues, those type of things I just like to watch. Though. Yeah, that, uh, those are actually some pretty good recommendations there. I was about to write it down, then I realized that I'm on a recording and I can just listen to it back. So <laughs> I don't know. <have> <laughs> right, <laughs> right, uh, right. right. All right, uh, next we have uh, Sijin K. Ravi. So Sijin K. Ravi is the founder and managing partner of RBS Group Entities. And he has more than 15 years of professional experience in the fields of auditing, consultancy, business valuation, taxation, corporate structuring, and incorporation. He has assisted in the setting up of many foreign entities in the UAE and has taken on the audit responsibilities of various multinational organizations over the years. Sijin has also designed and implemented financial reporting systems for various business entities in the UAE. He is a registered auditor with the Ministry of Economy, Dubai, UAE, and a fellow member of the Institute of Chartered Accountants of India, ICAI. 
Sijin is also an official insolvency practitioner in the IFC and an associate member of the Certified Fraud Examiner from Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, ACFE USA. Now, so Sijin enjoys gardening, cooking, traveling, as well as yoga and meditation. Now, uh, for someone who cannot cook to save his life, but for some reason, I tend to watch a lot of cooking shows. Do you have a signature dish or speciality, Sijin? Thanks for your introduction. <laughs> signature dishes is like uh, the chicken curry, then uh, fried rice, and all these things that I used to cook. And my main hobby is just like a, I'll watch in a different YouTube channels, then I'll see that uh, how we can uh, utilize for that one. So I'll see some of the cooking shows, then I'll prepare the same like that way. So I tried a lot of that way. <laughs> Thank you for uh, your brief introduction for uh, this one and uh, having in this panel discussion. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I've tried a lot of the YouTube videos. For some reason, it doesn't work for me. So it's good to know that it works for someone yeah. as well. So good to hear that. And last but certainly not least, we have Taha CDK. Taha CDK is a finance professional and managing partner at Ahmad Al Sulaiman Auditing and FinApp Consultants with over 15 years of experience in providing core audit and risk advisory services. Taha is well versed with external and internal audits, IFRS implementation, as well as accounting advisory and business process improvement services. He is a fellow member of the Chartered Certified Accountant. FCCA and has deep insight into the needs and requirements of various different sectors due to his involvement in a myriad of different projects. Now, um, I, did, I didn't manage to get a, a, a gauge of your interest and all, but do cooking, films, yoga, meditation, music, any, anything resonate with you, Ta? Okay, uh, I mean, actually, thank you for the introduction, Dr. Bob. And uh, my most time basically, I do watch uh, stuff on current affairs, basically, what is going on in the old world right now. Because we are facing so many issues in different parts of the world, that includes the Russian and the Ukraine. First of all, the most and the most important one is the Russian and the Ukraine war. Then the second one is the uh, politics going on in Pakistan and in India. So my major interest lies on these things. But it's just it's just my own, you know, opinion. So that's how I spend my time. So now we usually kick off our sessions with me attempting to give a quick overview of the country we are focusing on. In this case, that would be the UAE. So now the UAE or uh, United Arab Emirates is a country in Western Asia or rather the Middle East that is located in the eastern end of the Arabian Peninsula and shares borders with Oman and Saudi Arabia. It also shares maritime borders in the Persian Gulf with Qatar and Iran. Abu Dhabi is the nation's capital, while Dubai is the country's most populous city and the hub for business and commerce. The United Arab Emirates is an elective monarchy formed from a federation of seven emirates and as of 2020 has estimated population of roughly 9.9 .9 million. The UAE's oil and natural gas reserves are the world's sixth and seventh largest respectively and boast the most diversified economy among the members of the Gulf Corporation Council. Of late, the country has actually become far more less reliant on oil and gas and is also economically focusing on tourism and business as well as various other sectors as well. Now, we're, we're going to get into some of the questions, and this is going to be a free-for-all for everyone uh, on our panel here today. So the UAE's economy has seen an upsurge in performance of late, uh, with Moody's Investor Services forecasting real GDP growth of 6 to 7% in 2022. And according to projections by the UAE Central Bank, the nation is expected to experience a healthy 4.2% growth in 2023. With all of you being well entrenched in the local business and commercial sector, what is the sentiment on the ground about the state of the UAE economy as it stands today? 
I think sentiment is very positive. I think we have come out of the COVID uh, restrictions totally. So people are free to move around without any restriction, without any problems, basically. Even at the ground level, the retail consumptions have increased. The average revenue rates for the hotels have also doubled up. The occupancy levels have also gone up. The real estate prices have also gone up a lot significantly and there's shortage of uh, villas. Though partly that could be because of the migration of people from Russia and other countries, basically, that is possible actually. But yes, on the ground level also, this is reflected. Even the airport arrivals now exceed the pre-pandemic level because last quarter, I think we had 19 million arrivals, almost 18.5 million arrivals, which exceed the pre-pandemic levels also. So that's positive on the ground. We have a huge traffic nowadays, which was not there for two years. We could move around fast and go home fast, but now the time taken is double that of what we used to take earlier. So the ground level shows there is uh, activity, high level of activity. Yeah, so the biggest indication Mr. Ratnarkar has given the ground level, <laughs> the traffic on the roads actually has doubled up now. So we are spending almost double time to reach to our homes. So this yeah, is one of the biggest indication that the economy is right now booming and uh, the sentiments are positive. So I totally agree with it. <laughs> the real estate price has also gone up, for exactly. example. Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it's almost 40-50% uh, higher compared to what it was. Because where I stay, for example, somebody had bought a villa for 5 million. Because this was in March 20. Now it's almost 9 million or 10 million for the six-bedroom villa which somebody has, wants to acquire. So that's wow. the level. Mm -hmm. But not all areas, of course, but certain areas, yes. And right. if you see the GDP GDP level, even the November IMF release saying that it is a growing trend. It is just like they have declared like a 6% compared with the 5.1% in the last two months. Right. So that itself shows that a high growth rate in the UAE market. And if you see the other countries like uh, other GCC countries, UAE become one of the best countries uh, yes. in the GCC areas. Like uh, the uh, market-wise, then uh, the, there is a Dubai World Expo happens. And even the tourism industry, then construction industry, it is booming. So that itself is showing a growth in the GDP rate. Yeah, I think those are great points and great insights in terms of what the situation is, like you said, on the ground there. And I do like that that notion that one of the key ways to know how an economy is rebounding is look at the traffic. <laughs> that's a, I think that's, exactly. a, <laughs> that's a good indication. Um, now, so before this, before we started, um, you know, preparing for this recording and, you know, before the recording as well, one of the things that I found very interesting, and I think we were talking about this, about some of the, you know, sort of the constitutional, legal and governmental nuances of the UAE. Uh, so I understand the UAE itself exists as a selective monarchy from a federation of seven distinct emirates and that each of these emirates maintains a large degree of autonomy in terms of its laws and in terms of its governance. So this, of course, would have an impact on foreign entities seeking to do business in that nation. So for, for the benefit of our listeners, could you perhaps explain to us how this structure works? Because it's quite I think it's quite different. Okay, to... I think I'll just give a brief yeah. overview. I'll give sure. a brief yeah. overview. Mm -hmm. UAE became a federation on 2nd December 1971. So this is a constitutional federation of seven emirates. Each of the emirate is ruled by a ruler. Ruler of Dubai, we have ruler of Abu Dhabi, ruler of Sharjah, and so on for the seven emirates, actually. The seven rulers constitute the federal supreme council, which governed the Arab emirates, basically. 
So the Federal Supreme Council comprising of the seven rulers elect a president and the prime minister. By convention, the president has generally been the ruler of Abu Dhabi and the ruler of uh, Dubai has normally been the prime minister. The Federal Supreme Council also elects or nominates the Council of Ministers. So the Prime Minister heads the Council of Ministers. This is the executive authority which uh, approves all the laws and the budgets and, and so forth. All the laws which are approved by the Federal, uh, I mean, the Council of Ministers headed by the Prime Minister is then ratified by the President and gazetted actually. And that's how the law becomes uh, comes into force basically. The Federal, we call it the Constitutional Federation because the seven Emirates have delegated certain powers to the Federation in the field of, say, foreign affairs, defense, immigration, then uh, public policy, currency, postal, and so on and so forth. The areas are defined in the Constitution where the Federal uh, Supreme can promulgate laws for the whole nation as a whole, basically. Whatever areas are not defined or whatever areas are not reserved for the federal uh, area, the ruler is supreme in that area. So the ruler can do whatever he wants in those areas which are not uh, assigned to the federation, actually. To give an example, for example, we don't have a federal law on land. So the ruler of Dubai can do anything he wants pertaining to the land laws, basically. He can allow foreign ownership or not, basically. Dubai was the first trendsetter when it came to allowing foreign nationals to own the land in Dubai. This was in 2001. So if somebody comes, say, came in 2001 before and now, he will see a sea change in the formation of the UAE, Dubai, I mean, Dubai structures and all buildings and all, for example. So that was a trendsetter. Once Dubai started giving, allowing foreign nationals to own land in designated areas, other Emirates also started uh, doing the same, actually, in fact. So right now, Whatever growth has happened in Dubai for the last 22 years, it's phenomenal because of the real estate development. And because of real estate, all the other activities surrounding that has taken place, actually. In fact, when the meltdown took place in 2008, financial meltdown took place in 2008, Dubai had 20% of the cranes from all over the world. So you can imagine the level of construction activity that was going on in Dubai, actually. So same way, for example, free zones. Now, free zone, there's no central law. There's no federal law. So each ruler has its own domain. So Dubai has got 40 plus free zone. Sharjah has a couple of them. Abu Dhabi has got. So each emirate has their own free zone, which is outside the federal law, basically. So the ruler has his own decree, and it will be governed by those regulations and all those things. So these are some of the areas where the ruler will promulgate the laws and control the operation. Same way, for example, in Abu Dhabi, we have gas and oil installations. So the ruler has the full authority to do whatever. There's no federal law governing the oil and gas. Also, before the federation, there was some tax laws. Each of the emirate has its own income tax law, though that was not implemented. I mean, say there was not enforced at the emirate level, except in the case of bank branch, foreign bank branches and the oil companies. So each emirate, for example, Dubai would enter into an agreement with the foreign bank branch to pay tax of 20% by the bank. Same way, each emirate will enter into a, a agreement with the oil companies to pay royalty or tax, whatever the case may be. So these decrees were there, income tax was there, but it was never enforced at the federation level, basically, because of this. So this is the how the rules work, actually, in fact. We don't have an election as such. We have a federal national council, which is comprising of 40 members, out of which 20 members are elected. 20 members are nominated. 
So election is from the general public, basically. But Federal National Council has only advisory role. It will review proposed laws, which will then send it to the cabinet. Cabinet will approve it and then ratified by the president as a by the official Gazette Act. That's how the structure is actually. Yeah, I think that's a really good overview in terms of how the the constitutional legal governmental structure is in the UAE. And and basically, I think what uh, what you're getting at is each one of these emirates has quite a bit of autonomy as well in terms yes. of how he wants to run things and all. Um, so I mean, uh, for like uh, Sijin and Taha as well, like for a foreign business wanting to do business in the UAE, what are the things they need to consider uh, based on this? You know, various different emirates and their own regulations and rules and all this. Are there are there things that you know, you advice you would give the foreign entities that you would think, yeah, these are the things that you need to consider before you go in. Uh, as Mr. Ratnakar explained in detail, like what are the power delegated powers and what are not. So basically, the business route. What I think most of the times, the general policies for setting up a company for formation of the company in UAE, they are almost same in all the you know all all seven federation all seven entities there is no major change except when when you come to the free zones they the each of the free zone they might have their own rules and regulation when it compares to the setting up the company uh, but when it comes to the mainland the general rules the laws and the regulations are almost same so there is no much change when it comes to setting up a company in different and uh, in different territories uh, there is no uh, I don't think so. There is any uh, major change in setting up the companies in different territories. As explained by Taha, it's uh, clearly mentioned that it's uh, basically it's a uh, depends upon the mainland and the free zone. That's only the difference. So if you see mainland uh, previously, there is a requirement for a local sponsorship. Now they have removed based on the latest rule. But if you see the other areas like a free zone, different Emirates having a different free zone and a different free zone having each free zone having its own rules. Like Dubai, Dubai free zone have Dubai free zone rules like a DMCC free zone, then a DAFC one. Then if you go to the Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi free zone has its own rule. So you cannot come back and saying that, okay, common rule will be entire Emirates. Okay. That is the main, uh, main... I'll just uh, add that uh, under the company law, which is applying to the mainland companies, now I think we have 100% foreign ownership is uh, given. But again, there, each emirate has the power to approve the activities. So, for example, in Dubai, we can have trading, manufacturing, construction, so on and so forth, I approve. Abu Dhabi will have a set of activities which are approved. Basically, that means each emirate has the power to decide which area they want to allow foreign ownership or not. If you go to Fujairah and say Rasul Khema, they have still not implemented this foreign ownership rule, basically, in fact. So, so that is the problem. So the federal level, we have the enabling power to allow the 100% foreign ownership for all areas, except for areas covering strategic impact. But that is delegated to the each emirate. It's up to them to decide what areas they want to approve and what areas they don't want to approve. So that flexibility is there for the emirate. So you have to see, for example, if you want to say, I want to do trading in Fujairah and 100% foreign ownership, that may not be available, although legally it's possible, but in Dubai it's possible actually, but it may not be in Fujairah, it may not be in Russell Khema basically. Now, another area I'm sure our listeners would be keen to learn more about would be the accounting reporting standards that are followed in the UAE. This is something we often get asked in various other jurisdictions in various other episodes as well. I understand that like a large portion of countries globally, the UAE adheres to 
the International Financial Reporting Standards, IFRS. Uh, what can you tell us about the requirements under IFRS which foreign entities ought to be aware of when doing business in the UAE? And are there any other reporting requirements or regulations for corporate entities in the nation? Yeah, we had a 1984 company law when there was no reference to the international accounting standards. But in 2015 company law, there was a specific reference to international accounting standards. So all uh, public joint stock companies and the limited liability companies were required to prepare the accounts in accordance with the international accounting standards. That is specifically mentioned in the 2015 company law. But even prior to that, the, it was mandatory for banks and financial institutions to prepare the financial statement as per international accounting standards, as per the U.S. Central Bank regulations, actually. And by convention and by practice, most of the practicing accountants were preparing the accounts under the international accounting standards. But now, since last seven, eight years, it is practically very common for most people to prepare the accounts in accordance with the international accounting standards. That is very, very common, actually, in fact. But apart from that uh, reporting requirements, the audit is mandatory for limited liability companies and for joint stock companies. Though there is nothing mentioned about the partnerships and sole proprietorships. Most of the free zones, they mandate submission of the audited financial statements to the authorities. So you can say in practice, yes, the audited financial statement need to be submitted to the authorities. But in the mainland companies, as of now, for limited liability companies, although audit is mandatory, although the law says we have to submit, there is no means of submission of the audited financial statement to the authority. They're not asking for it right now. But yes, banks and other institutions, they can ask for it. So apart from that, we have the con compliance issues in terms of the anti-money laundering regulations and all those things. Like anybody who is involved in real estate as auditors, as the corporate service providers, dealers in gold, lawyers, they all have to register themselves as designated non-business finance professionals under the portal of the UAE Central Bank. And they have to submit suspicious transactions report and other things to the Central Bank in case you come across any of these issues under AML or terrorist financing activities actually. So this is a mandatory thing. The third major area is the economic substance regulations. So many of the activities which are, uh, because UAE was not part of the tax jurisdiction, we had to go into the economic substance regulations. So anybody who is uh, having activities within those nine categories, like trading and distribution and finance activity, and then head office activity, holding company activities, which were mostly pertaining to offshore jurisdiction, they were applied in UAE also. And the businesses had to comply with those regulations and the economic substance regulations. These are the main things I would like to say. Yeah, so basically, I, I just want to add in terms of reporting standards. Yes, Mr. Vatnathar has said right. Most of the fee zones, they actually, I mean, uh, not all fee zones, most of the fee zones, they ask for these audited financials. I mean, to just for the re kind of renewing the license, but in mainland, there is not, nothing such type of requirement. Even in the banks, they are not asking for such audited financials. So we can practically say, I want your opinion also, Mr. Narkar, on this. We can practically say that there is nothing a regulatory requirement of uh, submitting the audited financials in UAE right now. Uh, what do you think on this? 
right? And no, same- I, I mean uh, the law law says, but there is no implementation mechanism for the same. Exactly. That is the only thing yeah. I can. There is a, yeah, exactly. There is a yeah. law for this thing, but yes, yeah. there is no. I mean, it is not actually on ground level. This is not the practical requirement of submitting yeah. the. But under the public discussion document for the under the public discussion document of the corporate income tax, there is a specific mention there that uh, the audited financial statement will be required to be submitted to the authorities if such audit is required mandatory. That may come in due course now in a couple of years. I think many of these entities may need to submit the audited financial statement to their revenue authorities at least, if not anybody else. Correct. And apart from this, uh, when it comes to the other things, yes, UAE now has increasing its, uh, uh, when it comes to the compliance, UAE now has planning to uh, increase the compliances in different areas due to the, now due to now in better grade is, but now what is the matter actually, uh, they are asking them to submit the economic substance regulation report, country by country reporting, and then AML compliance, which is now going to be very big requirement in UAE in coming days. Now, real estate sectors, gold sectors, or even the auditors, the accountants, they are now required to submit to comply with all these requirements. And we are now under the strict surveillance from UAE government when it comes to the compliance of AM and anti-money laundering. So this is actually the current scenario right now in UAE. Uh, I mean, you can say, yes, the financial reporting standards, they are uh, not much required at this point of time, but yes, when it comes to the compliance, it is going, it is, and it is going to be very important requirement in future. I think uh, Ritnagar and uh, Taha has explained very well about this uh, reporting structure. So I can add one more point. It is relating to the uh, new introduction of the corporate law. This will be one of the criteria. That means audit will be mandatory. Because the mainland, as of now, based on the new law, it is mandatory. But the thing is that there is no uh, authority to submit your uh, audit report in order to renew the license. You can straight away renew the license. But if you come to the free zone, you have to submit the audit report, then only you can renew the license. That's the only condition. So that's why mainland companies, it is uh, not that much mandatory as of now. But uh, in a future years, it will be a mandatory. I think those are those quite interesting points as well, especially when you highlighted, uh, you know, the difference between the sort of the mainland companies, the free trade zone companies as well. But uh, I think the the general consensus is that it it's something that's going to be a major consideration as as we go along around the years and you know as things exactly. progress. Yeah. Another question that is a, a perennial favorite on this show is about taxation. Uh, so obviously, understandably, you know, the tax climate or regime of any nation is always a key consideration for foreign entities looking to do business in the country. I think there has been quite a major development in the UAE tax regime this year with the Ministry of Finance announcing that a new federal corporate tax system will be implemented in the UAE on or after 1st June 2023, which is uh, actually just a few days before my birthday, but uh, so, uh, maybe uh, could, could you guys tell us a little bit more about the tax system in place in the UAE for foreign businesses and also for individuals alike? And uh, Sijin, you were just, uh, you know, talking to us, uh, giving us the, an additional point from the earlier question. So I'm going to put you on the spot, which as you've realized, I quite like doing. Uh, so could, could you give us a little bit about info about the tax system in place in the UAE, especially for foreign businesses and uh, for individuals as well? 
Uh, from 2017 onwards, uh, the taxation is implemented. First itself, excise tax implemented in 2017 October. Then after that one, the end of that 2017, they have introduced the VAT. So that VAT was applicable from 1st of Jan 2018 onwards. And as of now, excise and VAT is applicable. From next year onwards, June 2023 onwards, so the corporate tax will be introduced. That's, that will be the 9% of corporate tax for the income groups. That means above 375,000 dirhams. That means 100,000 USD. If the net profit is 100,000 USD, then 9% corporate tax will be introduced from 1st of June, 2023. This is the major change introduced in UAE. As of now, income tax, there is no income tax on individual, like salary or any other income. There is no income tax on that part. So we have one indirect tax, that is a VAT and excise, and a direct tax going to apply in a near future, that will be corporate tax. Other than this one, uh, no other taxes. Other than, for example, the other companies like uh, oil companies, then some of the insurance company, banking sector, these companies having a separated tax from the beginning onwards. Okay, I'll just uh, add a few points, basically. We have a custom duty also, which is 5%, which was there from a long time, basically. Then uh, we have those indirect taxation, as you said, excise duties there, of course, which is uh, there on 50% and 100%, depending upon the product. Basically, but VAT is only 5%, which is a reasonable amount of tax, basically. And as uh, Sijin said, 9% uh, tax will be applicable on income exceeding $100,000 equivalent, uh, basically, actually. Said. So that is a broad principle, actually. But personal taxation will is not yet there, but business taxation will be there. In fact, even the income from, as per the public discussion document, even the income from properties are expected to be exempt. I mean, not to be taxable, basically. But we have to actually wait for the law to see how exactly this pans out and what are the actual things. They also said that the free zones will be free of will not need to will not need to pay any income tax, provided there is no tainting by the mainland transactions. So, if you are having a free zone activity and you are doing the re-export business, then that income could be not taxable actually. But we have to wait for the law and see. But the same free zone, active, free zone company, if they do some transaction with the mainland, maybe the whole of it would be taxable. So we have to wait for the law to see actually. The other major issue which uh, is mentioned in the public discussion document is that uh, the for related party transaction, that is uh, related parties, transfer pricing rules will be applicable based on the OECD guidelines. That is going to be a very contentious issue. And be creating a lot of issues for the normal business people actually in fact because that is something for the uh, region and implementation of that could be a challenge for many of the businesses where they have transactions with group companies and related companies actually in fact. also they are going to restrict uh, personal expenses allowability they may restrict uh, or disallow remuneration to directors shareholders partners those are not yet very clear there will be restriction on the interest allowability. They will say interest will be allowed up to 30% of the earnings before interest and uh, depreciation. So those are some of the areas, contentious areas, which needs to be looked at once the law comes into picture. So we don't have any clarity on those issues. So once the law comes, we'll be able to have a better idea as to what will be the exact tax implications of uh, those issues. So right now, for example, many people would be funding from their own sources. So if a partner is giving a shareholder, partner or shareholder is giving a loan, 
whether that interest will be allowed or not is not very clear at this stage. But of course, the bank interest and third-party loan interest would be allowed. But as far as director and shareholder loans, we are not very sure. At also, there are issues regarding uh, business income in the sense that if a person is carrying on business in his personal name, that could be taxable, although, as a, although there's no personal income tax, but if somebody, a partner or a proprietor is carrying on business in his personal name, that could be passed through and taxable also. That's what is clear from the discussion document. So practicing chartered accountants like us, if you're having a partnership, then it's a pass-through income, it could be taxable. We may have to pay tax on our share of the partnership income. So Sijin, you should be prepared for that now. <laughs> Although there's no personal income, we have to pay tax. Yes. Exactly. So as Mr. Mr. Ratnarka said that, Phil, the law is not clear. They, yes, after the announcements of corporate tax, there is a panic in market, especially for the fee zones company, because most of the fee zones company, they came with the perspective of like, UAE is like a tax-free country. So, but now after the announcement of corporate tax, there is a panic in uh, fee zones. They are, uh, the clients actually are asking, what is their future? What, where they are going to lie? Uh, where they are going to be? So, uh, yes, the, the, still many areas are not clear. Like, you know, uh, the income, uh, how the tax taxable profits are going to be, which are the expenses are allowed to be exempt or which are the, which, which income is going to be taxable and which are, what income is not going to be taxable. So, yes, there is, they still need a, a clarification on these things and it can be only done once the corporate tax law is actually issued by the UAE government. We are actually waiting for it, right? So, it's very much a wait and see uh, yeah. time at the moment. Okay. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting. And I think that's something maybe, you know, what, like you said, once it comes into place, there's something we can probably yes, revisit we can, as well. cover yeah. that topic, yes. yes yeah. sure. So uh, another sort of, uh, you know, area that foreign businesses always look at, especially when they're deciding when uh, whether to establish a business in a particular jurisdiction or country, what are some of the prevailing employment and labor regulations in the UAE, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, employing foreign talent, or labor as well. What are some of the labor and you know employment restrictions or regulations in the UAE? If you guys could give maybe uh, just a brief overview of that. As far as labor is concerned, for example, this is a very diverse uh, society or a country. Basically, we have a UAE 10 million population with the local population being hardly 12%. So almost 85%, 88% of the people are expatriates. So there's a whole lot of expatriate pool which is available for employment not only within UAE, but you can also source it from outside also, basically. So in terms of the population, if you look at it, even though 12% is local, almost more than one third are Indians. And then we have all Pakistan, Bangladesh, and all those people actually, we have this. So they are subject to visa regulations. So the, what has happened is still now, there was it was not mandatory to have UAE nationals to be employed, but uh, now from effective from 23, they are making it mandatory for people people who employ say 50 above they have to mandatorily appoint uh, a ua national as a staff so if you have 50 then you have to have a one minimum ua national if you have got plus then you have to have two nationals like that it has to be done and if you don't uh, appoint a ua national as a employee then you have to pay fines to the government actually so that is being implemented one of the advantages of having a free zone is that presently this is not applying to the free zone, but for the mainland company, this applies. So that could be one of the advantages you can say for the free zone right now, as far as this localization is concerned. 
the other thing is that if you have got a lot of people like 100 200 people then it's a challenge for you to hire the uae nationals because you have to get those uae nationals you have to hire them train them they may work they may not work so it's a challenge as far as that is concerned otherwise in terms of visa regulations uh, you will be able to get a whole sort of pool of people are available to you either within uae or from outside you hire actually in fact that is the advantage of uh, setting it over here UAE has got more than 200 nationalities. So, although majority of them, of course, we have in Bangladesh, Pakistan, Philippines, and from Sudan and Africa, and all people are there. But you got more than 200 nationalities. So, it's a diverse culture, it's a multicultural society over here. You have extensive uh, staff available from UK, US, and all, and you have got reasonable price staff available from India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Philippines, and so on and so forth. So whole set of people are available over here. There is a labor law, which is pretty fine. There is, you are allowed, you have to pay gratuity and normal salary and wages to the employees. The law does not encourage unionization or strike. Otherwise, the labor law is pretty positive as well. To add this at another point, uh, for example, for uh, 2022, we have a lot of changes happening in the labor market. It is like they have introduced a new law, like uh, limited contract to uh, previously there is an unlimited contract that have changed to only limited contract, we can do it. And uh, after that one, uh, the emeritization, uh, what uh, Ratnagar said, it's correct, it's a 2% of above 50 skilled employees. But there is a, some incentives they are providing for those those companies. That means the 80% of service charges relating to the whatever the lab, whatever the service charges, labor charges, that will be reduced. So that incentives, if you are recruiting one UA national, you'll get an 80% reduction in the labor fees. So that is one of the incentives they are providing to increase this uh, emeritization drive. So they are planning for a 10% emeritization in by year of 2026 by 10%. That's their plan. So it's they are gradually increasing one by one sector. So initially it was like insurance sector, banking sector. This sector it's specifically mentioned about four persons. So now they are introducing to the private sector. That's what it's happened in the recent years. And for the 2022 other amendment, like they are planning to introduce these uh, pension schemes, then insurance schemes for all employees. All these things are coming to the effect. So if you see in a market-wise, in 2022, they have changed a lot. Even, uh, even the international level, if you see the Saturdays and Sundays are these uh, holidays. So in UAE also, we have shifted. Previously, it was like a Friday and uh, Saturday was a holiday. And to align with the global standard, we have shifted from... Uh, Saturday and Sunday. These are the changes that happened in 2022. So they want to uh, align with the global standard. So we, you can see that uh, around 200 nationals are uh, staying here. Out of this 9.9 million uh, population, in that one, 87% are expats. So these 87% are managing the entire country. So this is, uh, this is well and good compared with the labor market. So anybody can come, any country, anywhere in the world, they can come and work here. And you will always welcome those expats. Also, there is uh, some more development in the last couple of years. Previously, the visa was, the work permit and the visa was for two-year period. 
for investors yeah. it was three years, but now they have started issuing long-term visas for business owners and executive managers and then highly talented people, engineers, professionals, and all those things. So previously what was done in two, three years, now you can renew the visa after 10 years. So 10 years is a good reasonable period for people to uh, stay here and plan on a long-term basis actually. So most of the business owners, uh, highly talented people, professionals, engineers, they can all go for 10-year visa now basically. That's a good development. Yes. Yeah, I mean, those sound like really good developments. And it, it seems like, uh, like I think what you're mentioning as well, Sejin, um, there's a lot of alignment towards being uh, along global lines and global trends when it comes to employment yes. and labor and all this, which I suppose it makes it a lot easier for foreign businesses who want to set up in the UAE because it's not so much of a leap or a jump or a change for them in terms of their corporate structure, I guess. Right. Now we're about to sort of go into basically general sort of questions. Uh, about the UAE, about the economy, the, the corporate culture and climate yeah. there as well. So now we've, we've all heard of, you know, horror stories of businesses in the past who have tried to go into a particular country. Uh, they didn't really do the necessary research into the cultural, social nuances of that particular country. And, you know, obviously, you know, they try and launch a product. And, you know, we were talking about, I think previously, uh, uh, I think I was mentioning a bank which had a particular issue in, in Southeast Asia and all this, you know, so, but failing to do that particular research and, you know, not understanding the local culture in that particular country. What are some of the cultural factors uh, that you think foreign businesses should take into account in the UAE and things that may affect the marketability of a product or service in the UAE? And uh, maybe Taha, if you would like to kick us yeah. off on this. Yeah, actually, this is kind of normal in all societies and cultural and countries also that if you just jump in without any proper research or without any proper market knowledge, so then definitely you are ended up with uh, some failure or all these things. As all these two gentlemen mentioned that UAE actually a hub of different nationalities and different cultures and societies. So yes, the market research, yes, it's very important when you are trying to jump in UAE market. Yes, Middle East actually has a different market strategy as compared to the whole world. I mean, like uh, uh, when we compare with the European and the American markets that is going in a different pace uh, with a different trend. But UAE Middle East is actually working on just some different trends. So yes, the market research, the cultural research, the mixture of societies, this research is very important when you are planning to set up some businesses here. And then yes, demand and supply rule, that is actually another one of the important things which you need to take care of while you are planning to jump into the UAE market. Uh, the setting up of a company is the cost of the company. You need to be very well aware what are the costs and to setting up, set up a company and then to maintain and run in the UAE. So these all things, yes, you need to be taken care of at the time of planning of starting the business. So yes, these are the things which we need to need to be very aware when you are planning to start any business. Just to add to Taha, basically UAE is an Islamic country, so you have to be sensitive to the culture, Islamic culture, which is prevalent in UAE. For example, for many of the products, you may have to follow the Arabic presentation labeling, basically for the food, for toys, you have to give warning in Arabic, for cigarettes, you have to give warning in Arabic. The meat, for example, has to be halal slaughtered, it has to be certified by halal slaughtered. So these are some of the sensitivities which needs to be taken into consideration. Also, this being a Islamic society, it's male dominated. So your marketing techniques have to take into consideration some of these factors also basically. For example, pork, 
pork cannot be given to Muslims. So it has to be stored in a, sold out in a particularly designated area where only non-Muslims can take the products. So these are some of the sensitive areas which need to be considered. Yeah, like the same way as he mentioned, UAE is Islamic country. So yes, uh, when it comes to the alcohol consumptions, you need to be very, very careful while you are going to sell it in the market or, I mean, it's you cannot sell it open in market. There are some specified places, some specified locations and uh, some strict rules are there uh, through which you can sell the alcohol in market. So these are actually uh, exactly sensitive area when you are planning to set up any business in you. Also, we have Ramadan, one month of Ramadan generally every yes. year during which fasting yes. takes place. Normally, you're not supposed to do eating in public. So just to be sensitive to the other people who are fasting. Previously, there was a lot of restriction, but since last couple of years, even the restaurants are now open, but they, I mean, people go and eat. Previously, it was not possible, but now since last couple of years, it's, uh, people are allowed to eat inside the restaurant even during Ramadan, which is something of a liberal regime right now, I would say. But still, when fasting takes place, we have to be sensitive to the situation also. So yeah. This was the case actually when it was from three to four years back. But now there is nothing, any uh, mandatory requirement like this. I mean, you are not required. Uh, previously, yes, you have to curtain down the restaurant during the Ramadan month. You cannot sell the food openly. But this requirement, keeping in mind uh, other nationalities and the cultures, UAE has now lifted this ban. You can now open the restaurant, can sell it in the market. I think these are the things are part and parcel of every society. But yes, since you have asked, what are the key factors we need to consider while planning to set up a business in UAE? So yes, these are the things which uh, I have mentioned in this seminar and added on it. You need to take care while you are uh, planning to enter into UAE market. Yeah, I think those are good points. And, uh, you know, I come as well from an Islamic country as well, Malaysia, you know, which, uh, you know, the main yeah, religion right. here is Islamic as well. So it's the same thing as research and also showing, like, I think both of you have mentioned, you know, showing respect as well to the local culture and, you know, the nuances yeah. of that culture as well. So the next sort of question that I wanted to, uh, you know, pick everyone's brain on as well. At the start, I kind of mentioned about UAE's ever-growing prominence as a major economic hub in the region, um, as well as its continued growth and resilience. Uh, you know, we've had pandemics, we've had you know downturns in global economy, but the UAE's economy seems to be holding on strong and being quite resilient as well through it out. Where do you gentlemen see the economic trends heading towards? Are there any sort of industry sectors that you believe are primed to bloom and ideal for foreign investment? Where, where are the major trends going? In UAE will continue to focus on trade and tourism. That is our core activity, apart from uh, oil and uh, gas, basically. Of course, apart from that, we are now focusing on new areas like artificial intelligence. They are focusing on nuclear energy, clean energy, basically. They're also focusing on development of space right now. And they are also focusing on digital uh, market, like, for example, cryptocurrencies and all those things. They already set up a virtual uh, regulatory authority for digital assets, basically. I don't know how far it, whether it's operational or not, but at least they've set up the regulatory, regulatory authority for virtual assets, which is a first in the world, I would say, basically. And recently, I mean, just a couple of days back, the prime minister announced the We the UAE 2031 vision, whereby he expects the GDP to double from 1.5 trillion to 3 trillion by 2031. And also he expects the tourists to increase from 30 million to 40 million basically by 2031. 
that's a target actually and the focus will be more on advanced industries and uh, industrial sector basically as explained by ratnagar the main industries is, uh, you can say that one is a real estate sector if you see the high net worth individuals are buying a lot of properties in dubai compared with the previous years even though the interest rate are very high but uh, still the high net worth individuals are coming to dubai and to buying a lot of properties that itself giving a a rise in the ue market economic economic wise and if you see other industries like for example it it industry then uh, real estate it healthcare these are the industries it is booming tourism sector it is going very well and if you see the recent release by the passengers coming into ue it is like uh, compared with the last year it is around 18.7 million so that's itself showing that the tourism is a major product of ue and uh, the digital asset like the ue is the first country in the world uh, introduced wara that means a virtual asset regulatory authority and uh, some of the companies have already started in uh, abu dhabi adgm it's already started some of the exchanges a uh, digital exchange and if you see dafc then uh, dmcc these places digital asset uh, companies are started so whatever the technology development whatever the industry wise the ue is improving like anything so the high infrastructure wise it's a very good in ue so the people are ready to come and invest in ue that is the situation as of now now just to add one more sector is the construction sector basically yes still it's the prime focus apart from the real estate the construction sector is one of the most focus center still uh, in uae committed to being investments in this sector and there are a lot of investments coming in this construction sector the major, the the reason for this uae government is like committed to provide good infrastructure to the country so this industry is yes is also one of the uh, booming industries in uae i would like to add two more sectors one is the medical tourism so medical facilities are being increased very heavily over here and they are encouraging medical tourism from all over the world we have well uh, high class five star based hospitals also like cleveland and then burjil hospital which are of a high level of uh, service basically for foreigners in need priority another major area is that of the academic education high educational institutions we have an academic city free zone where there are more than 27 or 30 high educational institutions from all over the world and they encourage people to come and study there stay there and get uh, graduation certificates and post graduation certificates those are the developments which are going to take place on a higher scale in future these two areas are going to be developed uh, very significantly yeah i think that's very interesting and as well i think at the start i mentioned that uh, the uae is considered as among the most diversified in terms of its economy uh, among the gcc uh, states as well Uh, and i think it's certainly reflected definitely in in what you guys were saying in terms of like in tourism you're mentioning medical medical tourism as well academics and all these kind of things which is is quite a diverse mix from what was traditionally considered you know an oil and gas natural gas you know hub now before we wrap up i do like to ask this question to all the panelists usually and and, and i know to condense your years of experience into one sort of single piece of advice is a bit tricky but if you had just one piece of advice above all else that you wish to tell our listeners or you know perhaps business leaders who are keen to expand in the UA market what would that one piece of advice be what is that one thing that they need to consider above all else 
Okay. Uh, I just want to say UAE actually is a land of opportunities. Uh, like if we just talk about ourselves, I started my career ten years ago, and then the journey from employment to be a businessman was actually tough, but not as compared to the other places. So I must say that UAE actually provides some kind of equal opportunities to everyone who is coming here to do a, a business or a job. Uh, comparing to the other countries, comparing to the other lands, UAE actually has kind of different you know, mindset. When, a, when someone comes to the UAE, yes, we might come as a beginner here, but after 10 years, after spending 10 years here, we are now, we are businessmen. I, I mean, I, I'm just talking about myself. I just spent here 10 years. And if you just talk about the other countries on the land, it's quite difficult when you when you become a businessman in just 10 years. So considering the UAE mentality and the mindset, they are actually very flexible when it comes to providing opportunities to the expatriates and to the other nationalities. Uh, it's actually a quite good experience to work here and then to start my own business. So this is actually a, a kind of advice that uh, consider UAE as, as, you know, for me, as it, it's kind of a home country for me here. I'm just like thinking that I'm still in clubs. These are the things which you need to be considered while you are planning to move out from your home country to any, any, any other place in the world. So when I came to Dubai in 1983, I always used to tell people that Dubai is a classic case of a laissez-faire economy, which we learned in economics. In economics, we learned laissez-faire, but I never came across that con actual, actually anywhere else except in Dubai. So when I came here, if one person opened a textile shop, there will be 100 other people who will open a textile shop. If one person opened a trading shop, 100 other people will open. So this is a classic case of competition like this. Everybody would open the same business. They will compete against each other and... And then, of course, people will drive out and then again, it will stabilize this. So this was a classic case. So UAE since then has developed a lot. There's a fantastic infrastructure right now. Logistics and infrastructure is available on a grand scale. From no regulation to now, a lot of regulations are coming up. And then there is a control and there is, uh, it's aligning itself with the global standards. The UAE is aligning itself to global standards and all those things. So those regulations are also on place. But still, it's a very competitive economy and it's a very liberal uh, situation here. But people have to be focused as to what exactly they want. For example, I had a situation where people used to come to set up an industry, manufacturing industry. They would be having, say, maybe 10 million, but they would not properly forecast because the banks would not give loan for the industries here. Even now, they are very reluctant to give loan for the industries over here. So if you're planning to set up an industry, you have to be make sure that you have enough funds. So if you have, if you're talking about 10 million, make sure you have at least 15 million because you may not get funding for your setting up a plant. But for working capital, they will give you the facility, provided there's a track record of a couple of years of uh, financial statements. So that is one area, the funding part. So you have to be very clear what exactly you want to do over here. If you are going to set up a business expecting the funding to come from the banks, that may not happen very clearly unless you have a track record abroad and you've got enough funding at place. If you are focused only on, say, overseas market for the redistribution, then maybe you can focus on the free zones. If you're focused on the local market, maybe you can focus on the mainland companies. So you have to be very clear as to what exactly you want to do and accordingly spend some time in planning your activities and meeting some professional advisors and also meeting the market participant to see whether you are fit to do business or not in this area. That would be the simplest advice I would give actually. So funding in place, 
make sure you have got enough funding in place or unless you are a multinational of course you have enough funding basically but otherwise a normal businessman should make sure that he has got enough funding in place to some of this discussion i can say that we can consider that ease of doing business in ue it's easily you can set up a company in ue but the thing is that you have to just think about your laws and rules very carefully otherwise it will be you will be end up with closing down the company because the infrastructure and other facilities are very good but you have to see some of the regulations rules these things you have to follow very well otherwise uh, it will be difficult and disastrous so for example if you are coming setting up a company then you have to see which rezone you have to set up or mainland you have to set up so you better get an advisor before doing any business in uh, ue most people come to you after the event after having messed up the thing <laughs> that's the problem that's correct yeah prevention is better than the cure right yeah. usually <laughs> i think there's a yeah. good point you know especially you know whenever you go into any country you need an advisor you need someone correct. who knows yes, things that's on right. the ground yeah. yeah and and you were mentioning as well about funding i think those are those are really strong points as well you know Correct. make sure when you go into a place you've done your research you know what's going on in the country and the best way to do that is of course to have an advisor on the ground who's going to help you right i just want to thank all three of you for your time for this session today i think it's been fantastic chatting with you guys uh, i'm sure our right. listeners have gleaned a lot of uh, you know really interesting information about it as well um Um, so I just wanted to thank all three of you. Uh, thank you so much, Ratnaka, for your time. Thank you, Sijin. Also thank for you, you thank you very much for thank taking you. this uh, trouble. To our listeners listening at home as well, if you have any questions or if you want to follow up on any of the points raised by any of our panelists here today, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Our members here at Abacus are always on hand to assist. Just get in touch with us, and we will put you in in touch with any of our panelists here today. Uh, so once again, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Sujin. Thank, thank you, Tara. Yeah. Thank you so much thank for your time. Thanks for your time. Sure. So this was Vantage Worldwide UAE Edition, brought to you by Abacus Worldwide. If you would like to check out our other episodes, you can do so at www.abacusworldwide.org or at your favorite podcast application. Uh, while you're there, do rate and like us and subscribe to our other podcasts. Once again, thank you for listening. Take care and stay safe.